0: You are listening to the us dot net podcast network. There's no noise, man. We've got more Blu-rays and DVDs to cover this week to tell you about, and some really interesting ones, and some really lame ones. But I would argue, really interestingly lame ones. And some of the ones in here I don't like. I'm still like, yeah, but there's something about it.
1: <laughs> there's only one in here it, now. There's only there I, there's only one in here that I just did not like. Mm-hmm. Um, in that way that I thought that it was like bad, right? Yeah.
0: But, okay. So that's that's a good, we've got a good stack then, I think, overall. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's overall. John Golson you're listening to right there, who, if you live in Austin, you can go see him do Improv Live. Where can they see you? Uh, at the Fallout Theater on Lavaca. There you go. What's the name of your troupe?
1: Uh, Orson is the name of the troupe. Uh, it's one of the troops I'm in, and the other is uh, Trillions of Dollars. We just did a uh, sold out show at uh, the Hideout Theater on Congress. Nice. With Trillions. Um and then I just got through doing a show f- with a group called Sterling Comedy, which is a uh, sketch stuff. Oh um, cool, so you actually write it. Not just improv. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't do any of the writing on this, but it was all. Yeah, but everything's pre-written. Yeah, that's, awesome.
0: I, that's what I'm. That's what I actually prefer to the improv stuff. Anyways, is the sketch stuff. Well, I mean, you have experience as a, as a outside of improv as a straight up actor. You yeah, were, and
1: so I think I respond to that better than improv.
0: You were actually in one of my favorite indie films from a couple years back. <laughs> what? Yeah, uh, Zero Charisma. I believe it was called. I am in Zero Charisma. Yeah, we raved about that movie on the site. We were like, I love this movie. If you can find it, watch it. <laughs>
1: well, I remember that was like the first I, Martin and I knew each other in passing but uh, there was once Martin and I crossed paths immediately after he saw that movie and he just was like oh my gosh I loved it you know he was going on and on I always thought that was really nice I, yeah. I've never forgotten that
0: yeah we were both very excited about that film we were like yeah we know that guy <laughs> I wish it was more readily available yeah I have the DVD
1: Yeah, I have, well I have the DVD because I'm in it but I just wish that I wish it was like it's hard for a film these days to get you know, there's an audience out there who I think would really like it, but because it's not readily available for streaming, I mean, you can buy it on like Vudu and Amazon and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I think that kind of easy word of mouth of like, Oh yeah, it's on Netflix. You know, it's, it, it never had that
0: phase of being available for quote unquote free. So,
1: which is a shame because I'd
0: love it. If more people got a chance to see it, it really is fun. Yeah. You're one of three people I know in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, before we get started in the actual reviews, let me just uh, give mad props to one of our sponsors, Circle Brewing Company. They are located right here in Austin, Texas, where they brew their beer at their brew pub on Breaker Lane, which you can go visit them at. Uh, and I believe it's Wednesday through Sunday. I'm blanking. I'm, I should know this. But uh, anyway, if you go to the website, circlebrewing.com, all the times are up there, you can get lots of original craft beers there, including not just the ones that you can also buy in the can or the bottle, which are available in stores all over the place, but you can also get a lot of their seasonals. It is truly delicious stuff, and man, are they really nice people. Just total real Austinites that are well worth supporting, and it's a cool atmosphere in that brew pub. Walk in there, everyone is so nice. It's got kind of a, well, I know this is me, but a left-leaning attitude. <laughs> the first time I went in there, they were having a, a party for Beto on election night, which, you know, obviously ended a little on a dark tone, but yeah. <laughs> but I was like, oh, good, these are the people who are sponsoring our site. I'm happy to see that. But anyway, so uh, you know, I assume when he's running as vice president, uh, and uh, what is it, 2020? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> that, that they'll be you supporting know. him again. <laughs> they have attractive cans, they do. Hey, I like nice it. cans, yeah, nice cans, lady. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they, they do. They, there's a singular style, and I know it's become more. Normal for newer companies these days to have so every can is kind of wacky and wildly different, but they, they have a, like, a distinctive look to all the cans with different color schemes that I like. I'm, of course, a big fan of their, uh, their Hefeweizen, which I think is one of the best American style Hefeweizens you can get. Uh, their Blur, but also always recommend their, uh, bl- uh, their Black IPA, which is one of those, it's like a, it's an IPA you give to someone who thinks they don't like IPAs. Uh, the Tuxedo IPA. It's like people go, no, nah, it's not really my thing. It's like, just try it. And I swear to God, I've seen more people here go, oh, wow, that actually is really good. <laughs> anyway, uh, and one last thing before we get started, of course, first off, you can – Digital Noise has its own iTunes feed, which is also available on Spotify and a number of other places. So if you want to subscribe, that would be great. Subscribe. Leave us a good review. We really appreciate it. And, of course – the big sub- subscribing thing is becoming a subscriber, which just now has added on to a new bonus for subscribers at any level, $2, $5, $10, ten dollars, or uh, $20. There is a Facebook private closed group that we are going to start whenever we have events doing live videos during it uh, that you can only see if you're a subscriber. But if you're a subscriber from any level and you email us when you get your subscription, say, hey, I want to be in on that Facebook group, just let us know. And we'll bring you into that, and you'll get to see some of the goofy, probably often drunken, madcap antics going on behind the scenes at the gathering. During South by Southwest, you'll be seeing a lot of stuff. So now is the time to become a subscriber. Anyway, without any further ado, let's get to the reviews. And we're going to start off with a film that many have called one of the best horror films of the entire decade of the 90s, which is Takashi Mike's Audition. I still remember, speaking of Martin, when the, the screening for this was in theaters, he and Corey had to leave the theater. They were so freaked out. Wow. I have never seen that happen before. And I've been at a lot of screenings with those guys, like literally tens of thousands of screenings, and they couldn't take it. When it gets to the uh, piano wire scene mm. in towards the end, they were like, nope, <laughs> I'm out of here. But Audition, strangely enough, starts off as what seems like it um, might even turn into a romantic comedy or something.
1: I timed it this time. Um, it's 48 minutes before you see... Uh, the sack in her apartment, which is the first hint that anything might be dark or sinister. Right. And that's a long time into the movie. I mean, 40, 48 minutes, is that's a good chunk already passed by.
0: And I'm... I think it was it was my fault for reading too much about it before I saw it the first time because I'm like, oh, people are saying this is one of the best horror movies ever. And then I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Where's the horror movie? And I did not care for this movie very much the first time I saw it, uh, which was also, I, I'm not mistaken, the first Miike film I ever saw. So the important thing to know about Miike films is – you, you really should put away your expectations because, quite frankly, it's a total toss-up what you're going to end up getting. <laughs> At least, yeah. You never can tell with this guy. But I do think coming back to it again and watching this great Arrow transfer, they really did a beautiful job on it. Uh, I enjoyed it so much more this time, now having different expectations of it and watching these really great performances. Uh, the the basic story here is uh, a widower played by Ryo Ishibashi. Who, you may not know the name, but if you watch Japanese films, trust me, you've seen him in a lot of movies. He's been in a ton of shit. And uh, he is, uh, his son is like, look, it's been long enough. Maybe you should start looking to date again. People around him are saying the same thing. And a friend of his, who runs a entertainment agency, says, well, will tell you what, we'll stage this, like, audition for something that will never actually happen. We've got a script we were not going to use anyway. And we'll just, that way you can kind of see all these women. And then if one of them strikes your fancy, you can ask her out, which is, you know, a little mildly creepy, but Hey, it's not the worst thing in the world. Certainly not to the degree that the guy deserves all the punishment he ends up getting. But, uh, he finds this kind of wallflower of a woman, uh, played by, I, I, oh, I don't know if this is the right way to say it. Ehi Sheena um, who uh, was a very big model famous model before she even well before she was in this movie but uh, who they kind of hit it off and they have it's almost a meet cute not by American Hollywood standards but they go on dates and you're actually kind of rooting for them you're like yeah and then there's that scene where she's talking onto the phone to them and there's this big sack in the background as you mentioned that suddenly at the end of the call starts moving and you're like What the fuck was that? (laughs) (laughs) And from there on out, things take a turn for the extremely sadomasochistic, kinky, dark, fucked up, brutally violent. Yeah, that's Audition, and it is not for the faint of heart. I remembered a lot of it, uh, having
1: not seen it in, you know, probably 15 years. I, I remembered a lot of it. I tried to keep my ear to the ground for... Um, dialogue specific to the treatment of women in regards to the film, because right before I watched it, I went back and kind of read up on it to because basically I went, I seem to remember it being this, and then I wanted to confirm my own thoughts on it and read a lot where it was some people were saying that it it was misogynistic and some people saying that it was a very feminist movie. So there were all kinds of reads on it, but I think there are some specific things that are repeated. And I, I think there are things in it that are very much like it's, it is telling you that what this guy is doing is wrong in very specific ways. There's the scene at the bar is one where they talk specifically about, gee, we sure do wish women were like they were in old Japan. Yeah. And I think even as Westerners, we understand what that means, which is subservient and quiet. Um, there's His friend tells him at one point when he says he's nervous, he goes, just think of it as picking out your first car. Right. So it's literal objectification of women. And then the other thing that they flash back to is the whole reason he does it in the first place is because his son tells him, You look tired. Maybe you won't look as tired if you have a girlfriend.
0: You have someone to take care of. It's almost
1: like weirdly motivated out of just like vanity, where it is because he flashes back to that specific line towards the end of the movie, and I was like, "Yeah, any any argument that this is like anti-woman that this film is, yeah, yeah, it's a horror film. It's, It's so it's a genre movie, so you're going to have like." There, you know, yeah, there's a psycho woman in it, (laughs) but I think that, I think that what it is supposed to be, it is supposed to present some idea of, Hey, it's wrong to objectify. Yeah. Uh, And it's not like this could happen to you, (laughs) but there is, but there is sort of this dismissal of her as a human being. And she comes with her own baggage and a truly fucked up past. And I think that just by going, just being, literally a face he plucks out of a book. He meets her in person and is like, oh, she's quiet and subservient enough. I pick her. Right. Um, I, I think that... Yeah, I think that he is... You know, I, does he deserve it? Eh, it's a horror movie. So, yeah, it gets really, really graphic. But I think the point of the movie is uh, that his behavior is being is being called into question. Sure. Um, by sort of the, you know, the morals of a horror it's, film.
0: It's hard to, like... It's hard to say. You can't say, "Well, it's unfairness and misogynist because the way they treat end up treating her Mm. like, and he is the victim here." You're like, "No, like, like he's he is the victim." And true, nobody deserves what happens to this guy. But it's horror movie rules. It's a different thing altogether. It's trying to say, "Look, man, you." you went in blind into this thing with not the best of intentions, you know, hey, Mm -hmm. shit happens. (laughs) It's
1: it's EC Comics where it doesn't make her
0: good, but it doesn't mean he's good either. Right. Uh, Yeah. Uh, But I do think this is a a, a gorgeous shot film Mm -hmm. and really well acted and she especially, she's just terrific in this. She... When she goes full on crazy, (laughs) when she goes full on crazy, she is super creepy. Yeah. Oh my God. And there's some weird reality question what's real stuff towards the end of this. Uh, like, It takes a turn the rest of the movie didn't do, which threw me off a bit even in re-watching. It gets very abstract of like, wait, what actually happened? What of this third act was real and what wasn't? And if anything, that was one of the biggest criticisms this film, I, I feel like outside of whether or not it's feminist or misogynist, right. has had. But some people really like that about it. But it is definitely... Even today, still mildly confusing what exactly happened at the end of this film. Um, But this is the Arrow version, uh, which is not a straight re-release of the Shout Factory version, which came out a few years ago. In fact, it is a uh, a very improved uh, restoration in two K that's been exclusively restored by Arrow Film, so it is decidedly. A better version of it uh shout's version was reviewed as being like not a great transfer. there's
1: there's a term that you see used in a lot of uh, home video reviews where they'll say something maintains a filmic quality the mm-hmm. grain maintains a filmic quality <laughs> and this is one where i was like yes this is a movie where i can say the grain maintains a filmic quality because the colors were strong the contrast was strong It was grainy, but it felt appropriately grainy. It did look like film. Right, when it should. But all of the elements were, uh, like, again, the colors were bold, contrast was crisp, but it was also very, very grainy. But it felt, um, it didn't didn't feel like it hadn't been restored. You know, it felt like, oh, someone had worked on, on making this look really good and decided to keep that sort of, those little jitteries in the film stock.
0: Yeah, I, I actually was extremely pleased with the way it looked. Uh, now, a lot of the commentary, the, I'm sorry, a lot of the extra features of which there are a lot are just, are indeed ported over from the Shout Factory version, including a commentary by uh, Mike. and uh there's a, but there's a new commentary uh, by Tom Mess, who is, I guess a, I guess he's a critic or something, I'm not really sure, but who talks about the film. There's a bunch of interviews that uh come over from the Shout Factory version, which are interesting, although I will say Mike. Man, that guy is the slowest fucking talker in the world. I actually had to put it at 1.5 because I was just, after a while, because I was just frustrated watching him. He's like, uh, and then... It's like, oh, for fuck's sakes! (laughs) Um, But, yeah, interviews with all the actors as well. There is a brand new piece, Damaged Romance, an appreciation by Tony Raines, uh, who talks about uh, Mike's whole career as well as this film. Uh, There's trailers, gallery, uh, introduction by Mike, um, uh, and then a insert booklet. But yeah, I'd say this is a this is a solid release, and I don't know if it's the best intru- – I still don't think this is the best introduction to Kashi- Takashi Miike's films. I'm not even entirely sure which one that would be. The, the easiest one for me to swallow, swallow that's like a grand sort of piece of
1: – it reminds me of Never Ending Story is Great Yokai War. Okay. I've not watched that one. Yeah. It's very much like sort of a Japanese Never Ending Story is what it reminds me of. Oh. Um, um, and it is, it, it is family-friendly. And to me, that's the most – that's the most accessible and still sort of exciting of Miike's movies. Mm-hmm. There are other ones that are accessible that maybe don't have all the fantasy elements, but I, I like Great Yokai War as a nice starter because it's not extreme, but it is weird enough to get you interested.
0: I mean, the guy has done. God, over a hundred films, and just he's, in one year, he's so right, <laughs> and he's so often credited with being a horror or exploitation director, and that makes up like maybe ten percent of the movies he's ever made. Yeah. Like he's made a lot of like family dramas and like Visitor Q. <laughs> Sorry, I, <didn't> <laughs> I love Visitor. It's him doing a John Waters film, but still clearly a Takashi Miike film. Um, (laughs) Not my favorite one. uh, uh, I actually, I mean, Ichi the Killer is always, like, entertaining to watch, although hyper-violent. But I think probably, what is it, 13 Samurai? I can't remember the name of the one. You know, this were a few years, a couple of years ago? yeah. I'd say yeah. a couple, it's probably
1: been seven, eight it's years It's
0: a remake ago now. of a much older film, yeah. but, uh, really, really good. And I actually quite enjoyed His Blade of the Immortal just recently. I thought it was a, I thought it was the best live action from manga um, film we've gotten yet. Oh cool. Yeah. Um Battle of Angel Alito was pretty good. Yeah. yeah, surprisingly. Anyway, let's go on to another film, which is from, oh boy, I think it was from Germany. Am I wrong? Yeah, well, it's called Heilstatten. Oy. So, uh, or Haunted Hospital. Yeah, it takes place near Berlin. All right. So ready for the, <laughs> the found footage movie uh, of the show? This one, Haunted Hospital, which had to, uh, kind of a cool the cover. 20th Century Fox release, which uh, they, shocked the they, hell they, yeah, out of me. Yeah, they distributed it over here. So, okay. It's like those, that's becoming more and more common I mean, with I was these like, things. Why?
1: I've seen indie horror films that didn't have a
0: studio. It, touch them with a 10-foot pole. I was okay. like, what, what is it with this one? I would think that I would say that one of the big reasons for this one getting as much credit as it does is because this place that they filmed it at all those stories they're telling you the whole time about the hospital and the murders that happened that's all real and this is the real place. You never see that. Like the, I was like that's really rare that a film actually goes and like oh yeah that's all this stuff is is you know they actually got rights to film in this location. Now what you don't see Is 70% of the rest of the hospital ground, which has been completely restored and has a big tourism industry and is beautiful. This is – they filmed it in part of it that is still in the process of being restored. But apparently it's like the ninth or tenth film that's been filmed here. They're like, yeah, yeah, we'll take your money. All right. (laughs) Um, But it's a bunch – okay, are you ready for this? A bunch of YouTube personalities (laughs) – of course, decide they're going to have a sort of a YouTube off and uh, with people from different shows that kind of fuck with each other online and meet up at this abandoned uh, in hospital slash asylum and say, oh, we're going to spend the night here. We're going to film the whole thing. And uh, we've already outfitted the whole place with cameras as well. And uh, what could go wrong? We're going to have a seance. We've heard some of the legends of the place. And it turns out that one of the people who was there, uh, the the, the if you, I guess the female protagonist, the final girl, if you will, um, has, is the one who's actually been there before and had an experience there with ghosts that led her sister to becoming injured and going, and, and going to have to spend the rest of her life in a wheelchair, which she still feels really weird and guilty about and doubts her own sanity is what she saw. Uh, the other person, the person who's letting them in there is a guy who's sort of like to some degree responsible for maintaining the grounds or something, I guess. I'm not entirely clear what his relationship was with the infrastructure, but uh, who's constantly like, no, don't break that. No, don't touch that. No, don't mess with that. And these guys are a bunch of obnoxious 20-somethings because it's a found footage movie, oh, and that's yeah. a rule. <laughs> Unless you're a Spanish journalist, you're an obnoxious teenager. So, um, And things go pretty much the way you'd expect. This is pretty much, like, for all extents and purposes, for the first three quarters of this, this is very similar to something like Ghost Encounters, uh, which, were, which was a very popular uh, found footage series that I never really could get into that much. Um, I get why people think, thought it was a step above the bulk of the rest of the bunch of teenagers go into a haunted house and and with cameras and film everything and ghosts happen and they get scared movies, which there are thousands. Uh, it certainly had a higher budget and this does as well. This obviously has a, has a bit of more budget to play with than a lot of those others, but not sizably so. Um, I, like I said, I like the fact that it is based, uh, it is actually filmed at the real place. I even was looking up photos of the actual hospital that are online and they're all, oh yeah, that's where they filmed that. Oh, that's where they filmed that. Like even the props that are set up, the, the, the surgery room, yeah. all that shit was, that's the shit that was there. <laughs> that's still, you go in there on, uh, if you walk in there, you're like, oh, that's, that's right there. That whole table and the big lamp and everything. Uh, and I actually did genuinely enjoy the weird, uh, albeit very implausible twist at the end because I was, it, it had me laughing, I, it, like, in a way that I think they both, they're like, well, we hope you're more scared by it, but if you laugh, that's okay, too. And I kind of w- was like, all right, well, this is not the way I expected this to go, so I'm going to give it points for that.
1: I'm glad you gave it some points. I'm happy for the points that this film has received from you.
0: I'm sensing this is not the this uh, is the film you said is the movie you did not care for. There are one.
1: actually two that I didn't care for, but this is the one that I think is more uh, worthless. <laughs> this is the one that I think is is I cannot fathom why you would watch this when again, there are so many other like, There's so many other haunted movies or found footage movies. I was like, I don't understand what this one has to offer other than a really obnoxious cast, like a really unlikable, obnoxious cast. I did not find it. It, it, Man, found footage, when it's bad, is so grueling to sit through because it's so uninteresting. Because there's not even anything then visually that's just like, you're seeing the same shots, the same hallways, and the same kids screaming, and it's just it—it <laughs> it doesn't have any sense of pacing, or tone, or it's—it's it's just hey, found footage movies are done like this. We'll do one too. I—I uh, I cannot think of a single reason to recommend it. I do—I do think that like the curio of it being shot where they say it actually exists, like. I didn't know that going into it. That's a neat, fun fact piece of trivia that, to me, didn't enhance, It doesn't enhance the Well I did product. think of
0: another movie that that's true of, which is Session 9. Yeah. You remember that one? Oh, Session 9's great. Yeah. With where, yeah, where that, actually, everything they tell you about the place in the movie is all true, and that mm-hmm. is the place where they are, even though in that movie, it turns out nothing is real.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, I, I did not enjoy a uh, I, I did not enjoy Hellstaden, haunted hospital. Yeah, uh, not <laughs> not my uh, not my cup of tea. And and honestly, have a really hard time of like even you know there's sometimes like we'll we'll get to it here in a minute, but I'll, I'll name drop it now. But even Purgatory Road, I can understand why people would like it, even if it wasn't my bag. Mm. Haunted hospital is one where I'm like, who is this? Like who who? Who, is this, who would watch this and go,
0: like, it's really good. I know those people, though. I do. Who are like, I love found footage. I, I'm like, you mean over other horror? Like, yeah, it's my favorite genre. I was like, it's not a genre. Found footage is not a genre. <laughs> like, uh. It. I have seen plenty of really good found footage films, but not compared to the bulk of them that exist. But one could say that about horror movies in general, I suppose, or even movies in general.
1: (laughs) Well, this one was stinky, and I found it very, very difficult to sit through.
0: Well, the aforementioned Purgatory Road is indeed the next film we are talking about. This is an odd little horror film. Uh, It's obviously... Kind of a labor of love by one of those low-budget horror filmmakers who has been doing this for quite some time, um, making movies of this type, Mark Savage, who's kind of gotten a reputation for putting out, wow, that was... Not something I could see getting any kind of distribution, but what a weird little concept for a movie. Like, uh apparently people really liked a movie by him called Sensitive New Age Killer 2000. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got, he works with a lot of the same people, Uh and this is his latest one, which did the festival circuit. And it is just, you know, despite obviously having budgetary constraints despite having kind of a cheap filmic look to it, despite some questionable performances uh, and despite some really like, wait, how could you possibly moments? I got to say, this guy ain't ripping off anybody. This is his own thing. (laughs) I have never seen a horror movie with this plot. And John, I want to hear you describe this, this story. Uh, It's two, uh,
1: they're brothers. They travel around in an RV And one of the brothers is a preacher, and he's also a pervert, and he delivers people from their sins by killing them. (laughs) And they go place to place to place. And they end up, at some point, crossing paths with somebody who's an actual just like uh, almost cartoonishly over-the-top murderer. It's it's, It's like, wee, You guys are murderers, too?
0: This is gonna be a blast! They were obviously trying to channel Harley Quinn. There's like no two ways about it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's it's an extremely unpleasant movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, I found it for... I've seen a lot... I mean, you and I both have seen a lot of no-budget horror. I'll get the positives out of the way first. Um, It's it is obvious that he puts some care into the staging of the shots and the lighting that you don't often see in a uh, very, very low budget indie horror. Yes. And I thought typically, um, I thought the performances kind of in a general sense were better than average for this level of horror filmmaking. Yeah. There's a lot, he gives the kind of, there's a lot of players in it. Like there's a lot of characters who show up for a scene. Uh, so it's, it, Helps the world feel expansive, and it also helps in that um, most of them were generally pretty good. Um, I'm not saying everybody deserves Oscars for it, right. but
0: for for this level, for this though. level,
1: I, I've seen some real stinky acting. Right. Um, it's no Heilstotten, <laughs> but I found the overall film so perverse and so unpleasant uh, that that yeah, I I can't walk away going like I quote unquote enjoyed it. I appreciate the effort that the filmmaker put into some of the smaller things that a lot of people don't seem to care about when they're making those movies. But at the same time, it it's not it's it's horror. It's not scary, and it's not even I think intended to be scary. I think it's intended to be disturbing. Yeah, but it's not fun either. But it's not fun either. And there, I found it difficult to find anything redeeming because I'm not like I don't want to see people get killed. Like I like. I don't want to see a, a pervert killing people, um, and and there are movies I've seen
0: of perverts killing people that I've enjoyed before. William Lustig's Madman,
1: um, but this one or is,
0: is Madman. Is that what I'm, Is that the right name? Uh, the William I, Lustig film. Yeah, there's Maniac. Maniac. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Of. Um, that's example of a good movie about a pervert killing people.
1: Yeah, oh, <gasps> this one something was missing for me, uh, other than it just feeling kind of sicko. And it wasn't my bag. There was also something else that stood out to me that I couldn't get over. And it's such a little thing, but it bothered me so much. <laughs> they want the RV to look like it's been spray painted with with all of this, like, repent center and, like, all this kind of stuff. And, like, decked out to look like it's kind of this run-down RV that they've jacked up. It's so obvious that those are decals on the right. RV because they're separated where the doors <laughs> And windows and hatches are that they don't go over they don't like if somebody was spray painting on something it would go over like a hatch on an rV but it's it breaks where the hatch is there's a perfect white outline of the hatch, and then the rest of the decal is on the hatch itself. It was so obvious that the rV had been decaled and there's too many close up shots of it for it to be so obviously decaled right and every time that rV was in the frame, I was just like. I was like, oh, those those are, like, the first time it was like, oh, those are stickers. And yeah. then every time it showed up
0: after, I was like, I wonder where they got those stickers done. I wonder who put the stickers on it. I, I, I'll, I'll say this about the film. He really, really wants hard for these characters to have resonance and to have arcs and stories and mm. relationships with each other, which is more than you can say for even a lot of good horror movies, you know. He wants it so bad that it kind of... It really kind of hurts the movie as it drags quite often as he's going so into these uh, these stories and the relationships with these other side characters that don't come to anything. And then there's the very awkward out-of-nowhere drop of, oh, and there's also a monster in the basement. That's like, wait, what? <laughs> that turns into a whole thing that makes the movie even more kind of distressing and gross. I mean... I, it's I, an angry film too. It is. It, yeah. it has a lot of things that that obviously about religion and probably relationships with fathers that uh, that the the raider seems to have some unresolved issues and with women as well. Um, I think the biggest flaw of this film is the character who plays the 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 character who is the the female serial killer who comes in for some reason is popular with a call in radio show. They keep making a running thing that should have been cut, quite frankly, from the film entirely. Yeah, uh, she's. I don't feel like she adds anything to this. She is only there so they can get to a denouement. Like, she's a lever to pull so they can make things happen and wrap this movie up towards the end. And other than that, she's this annoying, Oh, Daddy, what are you going to do for me? (laughs) Character, you're like, ugh. (laughs) Um, I Points to the guy for trying much harder than most people try for this type of thing. But Purgatory Road... I don't think it was either one of our cup of tea. Uh, Let's move on to something that I I get the impression from watching you post on Facebook you did not enjoy. I completely enjoyed Horror Express. Uh, Oh, I
1: never... See, and somebody else misread that either. Oh, okay. Somebody else misread what I was saying, too. And all I did was point out, and you have to admit, it's freaking hilarious. Oh, it is. How can you not love a scene in which... The liquid is taken out of a caveman's eyeball, and when they look at the liquid under a microscope, they see pictures
0: of dinosaurs. Right. That is (laughs) literally drawings. (laughs) Clearly drawings from a book about dinosaurs. That's hilarious. It is. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't like the movie. It just means that scene is awesome. <laughs> this is a 1972 sci-fi horror film that is based on loosely on the same original short story that The Thing was based on, mm. which I was like, "Oh, I didn't realize that till after I was reading other people's stuff about it." I was like, "Oh, yeah, I kind of I guess I see that. Like it's but once again, loosely based. But this reunites the two legends, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing together, which is always a good excuse to watch an older horror film for sure, as uh, it is a... Um Lee plays a very famous and very stuffy British anthropologist who's coming to Europe on the Trans-Siberian Express from China to Moscow. He's got a crate where he found a frozen caveman that he discovered that he thinks it might be the missing link in human evolution. Uh, he meets up with Dr. Wells, played by Peter Cushing, who is uh, – the, the, uh, they're friendly – but they're also kind of rivals uh, he, th- from the Royal Geological Society. But he's the nice guy of the two. He's mm-hmm. the guy everybody really likes Cushing. Um, and right off the bat, dead bodies start turning up. And people are like, well, that's peculiar. Why are their eyes all white? Their pupils have gone white. Uh, you know, obviously, something in the crate is not as it should be. And sure enough, what's in the crate, the caveman, is not really dead. He's got glowing red eyes that if you look at him for even a second, he will quite literally suck out your brains telekinetically until there's nothing left of you and absorb every bit of memory and knowledge that you have and move on. Because, you see, spoiler alert for a movie released a gazillion years ago,
1: (laughs) the caveman before he was frozen in ice... Happen to be possessed by the devil,
0: right? Or an alien, depending on which way you want to read this. Yeah, like it's he's the devil from outer space, is <laughs> what I read. But yeah. So essentially, the thing, because later on he ends up taking over somebody else, and then it's sort of a who who is it type yeah. thing. Although it would have been more fun if the audience didn't already know. You know, if they made it more of like, oh, it could be any one of us, but the camera's already shown us who it is, so it's not so much of a mystery just to these characters. But there's a lot of very colorful characters on the train. But boy, does this movie go into, like, 10th gear when out of nowhere in the third act they have to stop at this Russian station. And the great Telly (laughs) Savalas plays this, like, crazy, colorful, brusque, loud, like, military guy comes on the train and just starts fucking with everybody. Oh, my God. Did not the movie just suddenly, like, perk up like a billion times when he came on and just started chewing the the scenery? He makes an interesting presentation.
1: Especially how miscast he is as a as a Russian. Um, <laughs> oh my
0: God, so yeah. miscast. <laughs>
1: um, I, I so I had gotten this movie mixed up with whatever the isn't isn't there a Jamie Lee Curtis train horror film
0: yeah. from the seventies? Oh yes, what is it called? It's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, oh, no. and
1: I got it mixed up with that one. And then when I found out that it was the Telly Savalas one, I was like, oh, this is that one that's always in those like terror super- train. Okay. This is the one that's always in those box sets of like fifty horror movies that are dirt cheap and have like public domain stuff. It always have like this and the Devil Bat and Night of the Living Dead, <laughs> right? And, you know, and so its rep- its reputation in my mind was that it was um, very bad. It's it is uh, nonsensical, and it is a blast. Um, it is, it is, yeah, it's quite a hoot. It's entertaining. Yeah. Some of the hard moments, some of the, some of the creepiness of the red eyes stuff and like the, like some
0: of that works actually pretty dang well. Once you Um, get past the initial bad makeup for the caveman, which is really bad. Yeah. You're right. There are moments that you find yourself despite laughing at Before they
1: show him and you just see the eyes, there's some shots of that that are like really good. Right. Where he's just in the box. Um. And it is the better of the two. So there's also Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing made the Creeping Flesh, which is also about a reanimated caveman. Um, and this is so much better than the Creeping Flesh, which okay. I had, which I had saw I guess last year, maybe year before. Um, it's so much better than the Creeping Flesh. Uh, I I really liked this one, and I I think if you're a fan of You know, if you have if any of the stuff that we've talked about, you feel like you have kind of a taste for again that ridiculous caveman eyeball scene. I was just blown away at how like it's one of those things that you have to go on set. Did nobody go? Well, that's not what would happen. You know, (laughs) like did did anybody question that? Did Peter Cushing take the director aside and go like, "This is a little ridiculous. I don't know why I would see a drawing of a pterodactyl if I'm looking at you know"? It's like no.
0: No, just that's just, what happens. Just roll with it. Yeah, just roll with it. But that's the movie. It is these guys just rolling with it and clearly having fun. There's a lot of fun model work. The train is obviously a model, but it's done in such a way that's kind of cool looking. It's, yeah. 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 Um, and when it gets to, there's a point towards the end of this film that suddenly it turns into possessed zombies with sword fights. Yeah. Oh my God. What are you waiting for? Go watch Horror Express. It is like big, dumb fun in the best possible way. Yeah. I like this one. Uh, this is Arrow Films, uh, which uh, ports over a lot of the supplements that in the previous release of this film by Severin, uh, but also once again, much like we were talking about with Audition is a massive upgrade uh, from a, two, a 2K transfer. So the, this is by far the best version out there that exists. Uh, there is uh, – the new supplements are Ticket to Die, appreciation of the film by filmmaker Steve Haberman, Train in Nowhere, another appreciation by filmmaker Ted Newsom, who talks about his friendship with the producer – And then uh, there's a new audio commentary. Uh, There is a introduction uh, by a film critic there. And then there's a uh, 30 minute notes from the blacklist, which is a archival interview from 2005 with the producer who talks about how hard it was to get work during the McCarthy era. Uh, And there is murder on the Trans-Siberian Express, which for 14 minutes, the interview with the co-writer and director Eugenio Martin, which was apparently its original title. Oh, Murder on the Trans-Siberian Express? Yes. That would have been a better title. It was the original title and they changed yeah. it. Well, that's kind of a shame, really. Uh Let's start with our next film, which is... Holy crap, this is a new film. It just came out, uh, uh, like, last year. What? Uh, I actually saw this when we were prepping... For uh, when we're looking at all the stuff, like what are the possibilities for best foreign language film? And of course, this didn't actually end up in the Oscars, uh, uh, getting picked for the Oscars because it's a genre film. But uh, The Guilty, which is a Danish thriller, was so well-reviewed that they're already in pre-production on American Remake with Jake Gyllenhaal playing the lead role. Not surprisingly. Um, the lead uh, character in here, and really the pretty much just the star of the film. Yeah, uh, there's not,
1: I mean, there's like uh, two other people, I think, that you actually see.
0: Yeah, who are barely there. And then yeah. the voice of one other character, basically, yeah. is the only other star. Um, but uh, uh, Asger Holm, a play by Jacob Sedergren, who I thought kind of looked like a old, like a slightly out of shape uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Mm. <laughs> uh, he is a cop. He is in the worst job you can have as a cop, arguably, which is working the call center. It's towards the end of his shift. It becomes clear very quickly that uh, this guy is kind of disgraced by some previous actions, and he gets a phone call from someone who has been, who is a, a woman who is being very is very scared and is clearly in the car with someone else. Who she's saying, "Oh, it's it's uh, my husband. We had separated." but now he's kidnapped me and he's got a weapon and I need help. Uh, I don't know what to do. And he's very, you know, uh, our main characters really genuinely wants to help. And as it comes along, as the movie goes along, it becomes clear that this guy has made a lot of mistakes uh, about making assumptions with a limited amount of information about what's actually going on. And this ends up tying into the, as we find out more about the things that got him disgraced in the first place. And for one guy on a phone movie, I found this absolutely gripping.
1: Yeah, it's great. It is a great thriller. And it zips by as well. Like, um, yeah, it moved, even though it is a guy on the phone, it moves at a clip because every every new call and every new conversation he has furthers the the kind of off-screen plot. Uh, the other thing that happens is you're only hearing those calls, so everything is in your imagination, which, you know, filmmakers talk About all the time, about you know, if you leave it up to the audience's imagination, what they think is way more powerful than what you could show. This is a great example of that because you hear some really harrowing stuff come in through the calls. And again, it's all left up to the viewer's imagination. This is a really, really well made uh, thriller. I don't know. It is one that, like, I would recommend to friends and show to friends. Yeah. I'd be curious. What I would think of it watching it a second time, kind of knowing how it all unfolds, um it may play differently, or I may actually pick up more on him as a character because you do end up so invested in the plot at hand that the character stuff seems secondary, so I'm kind of curious if I rewatched it if I would pick up more hints of of his past and who he was and that kind of thing, although I mean it's threaded through there um, but yeah i can't I can't recommend this higher this was this was the best thing, uh, to me, the best thing on this week's show was the guilty. I, I really liked it a lot.
0: Yeah, it it is very enjoyable, and unfortunately, it's hard to be able to talk about it at length because, like we said, it's one guy in a room on the phone.
1: You know what it reminded me a little bit of? Not in it reminded me a little bit of this in tone, not necessarily in uh, execution. Do you remember the Nicholson, Jack Nicholson movie, The Pledge? Yeah, where he there's the kill the, like a child killer, and he tells uh, Robin Wright. Like, I'm going to do everything I can. Nobody's going to get hurt again. And I'm going to find this killer. And over the course of the movie, like, he just keeps kind of coming up impotent until it finally drives him insane. Mm-hmm. And I found this tonally at times. It reminded me of the pledge where it's like, you can't promise people that shit right like, you just can't say that like and it's only and you know you know from the movie because it because it is a movie you're like that's not going to turn out well for you like quit
0: mm-hmm. promising people shit <laughs> um it's it's good it's really good uh, yeah, no, um, I was, I was thinking, it reminded me of, and I think it was Tony Curtis. It was like a movie, a bunch of people in one location, which was like a war room. Mm. And they were like, um, we think missiles are heading towards America. right oh, now. Oh, uh, fail
1: safe. Yeah. Fail safe. fail
0: safe. Yeah. Kind of like had yeah. that sort of one room limited group of characters, yeah. but, uh, yeah, this is. Man, it was a strong year for foreign language films in 2018. And this is the, one of the ones that, sadly, has not been getting as much attention as it deserves. It kind of has a weird cover. The cover
1: makes it look like uh some kind of... The cover makes it look more of like an action movie, I think.
0: Yeah. The cover... Like I said, he looks like Jean-Claude Mondan, especially on the cover.
1: On the cover, I thought he looked like Stephen Lang. When I saw it in the pile, I thought it was Stephen Lang with some kind of futuristic headset on.
0: It's not a great cover, and then the quote is just, A thrill ride! We are (laughs) like... I feel like you could have done better than a thrill ride. A little blurb that says, Every second counts. So like mm-hmm. does it though? Is that really like the, the running theme? I don't know. Uh it's a really great movie though, and I do recommend it. There's no not really any bonus features here, but um I suspect in the effort to make this more familiar especially because like i said they they want to be putting out a big release american version here shortly this will probably be available on various streaming services before long yeah
1: and yeah if you just want a good movie night this is one to one to get or even or even blind buy through the website
0: uh, yes, you can click on our links, uh, which will lead you to the Amazon page. And if you buy anything through our links, we get a kickback. So do that. Nice one, John. Uh, our next movie is another. Man, we had a lot of Arrows this week. Uh, arrows have been like ramping up their releases lately. And they're also always been really good to our site. with sending us stuff. I consider them the Criterion of B-movies. <laughs> and they put out some of the great stuff. And uh, this time is an Italian movie, originally called Lady of the Lake. But... Uh, Later retitled for American audiences as The Possessed, and I found this kind of a treasure, quite frankly, of a of a movie. It reminded me of the first time I saw Carnival of Souls, where you were expecting something very different than what you ended up getting, which was a atmospheric, dreamlike, symbolic, like mystery. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was marketed as Giallo, and uh, there ain't much in common with Giallo going on here, except for maybe. I think there's a pair of black gloves at one point. <laughs> uh, but um, this guy who did this movie—oh, I'm trying to remember his name right now. Um, oh, Luigi Bazzoni is generally considered like fourth-tier Italian giallo director, and he did do a lot of garbage, and a lot of stuff that was like, eh. I see why he wasn't held as in in a serious acclaim as some of his contemporaries. But this is one of his films, I get the feeling, didn't go over very well in Italy. But l- years later, went through a massive like, wow, this was like nobody had really done anything like this over there at this point, and it didn't feel like anything else that was coming out. Um, it's a a uh, down on his luck writer who is going to the small lakeside town where he's been before. And he's hoping to re-encounter this maid who works at the hotel who he apparently had an affair with and he just can't stop thinking about. And everyone kind of just avoids the subject when talking about her. And the town – it's one of those towns where everybody seems to know something. <laughs> and everybody is kind of vaguely menacing in a way. Yeah. But, but also, like, friendly on the outside, but there's something – something's up. And there's all these – Weird, dreamy elements of a woman who's walking out beside the lake and, and like I, it it turns into a mystery with bodies that start dropping and finding out that the question, the woman in question is dead and who killed her. And there's a lot going on here. And I think most of it is metaphorical, (laughs) (laughs) but I found this in a watching a David Lynch movie sort of way very engaging.
1: I, yeah, I liked this. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's gorgeously shot. Uh, and I think it's interesting. I, I, my only problem with it is, um, I found that a lot of characters, I, I found the main character, um, he kind of like floated to like exposition dump to exposition dump. Like <laughs> characters would just sort of approach him and be like, I hear you're asking around for so-and-so and then, like, give him, like, a 10-minute sort of new dump of information. And he kind of ping-pongs around the movie that way. Mm-hmm. He, there's not a lot of proactive, like, seeking out this information on his own as much as there seemed to be people kind of, like, dropping new bits of information directly in his lap as the film went on. Yeah. Um, and, but I, but I liked it. Um, it's really pretty too yeah. it is really pretty there's um, lots
0: of just striking moments in it where you're like wow that's that's just a gorgeous shot it's yeah. all black and white for the record yeah. i don't know if i said that already but um and the the girl who plays the in the flashbacks the maid she's just like a wow just a stunner she's like she turns around when you finally see her which is this gorgeous like sort of half shot you see her from behind sitting up in bed and her hair is kind of covering her face she turns it's like a first time you see bridget bardot type moment where you're like wow they really made a point to make her just like be incredibly striking and you see why this guy was like mm-hmm. couldn't stop thinking about her yeah. uh, and it's creepy in a way too because by the point they finally show you her she's just being talked about and they don't show her till well late in the film and the flashback it's just where you already know she's dead it's 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 unquiet disquieting yeah you know um but yeah i found this Quite beautiful and a weird little, not an essential film, but a a odd moment in the history of Italian horror that I I feel like uh, more people should check out. Especially if you're more, if you prefer, because this feels like it owes a lot more to the American noir films than it does to the Italian giallo. Oh
1: yeah, I didn't. I, I, it felt more. I mean, this felt much more murder mystery Mm -hmm. to me than anything else.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's some traditional. like, giallo moments, there's uh, a certain degree of that which thing appears again and again and again in giallo, which is the uh, the the peeper. This is, like, shows somebody peeping their eye through a hole in the wall and seeing things. That's yeah. a very giallo thing. But overall, it just doesn't feel a dying at all. Uh, there's audio commentary here by film critic Tim Lucas. There's Richard Dyer on The Possessed, uh, who is credited as a cultural critic for 25 minutes. There's lipstick marks, which is an interview with a makeup artist. Uh, there's youth memories for 16 minutes, which is an interview with the assistant art director. There's the legacy of the Bazzoni brothers, which for 30 minutes, which is an interview with Francesco Barilli, who is a friend of, uh, the, both the directors, Lu- Luigi Bazzoni and, uh, his brother Camilla, who, who made it together and then trailers and insert booklet. Now, another film by Luigi that, uh, that we have here is the fifth chord and the fifth chord is decidedly more of a giallo film and not a very good one in my mind. Oh no, Uh, no, I didn't much care for this. Um, also titled black day for Aries. And I'll be honest, I had a hard time even remembering the plot of this one. I had to go back and like look up stuff about it online just to like, like a couple different reviews just to refresh my memory of what the fuck this movie was even about. But, uh, it's got a cool main character like who's this like disgruntled journalist with a porn mustache <laughs> who's at a party with a it's bunch uh... of rich people. And then the rest of the movie, the rich people start getting murdered one by one. And it's a, it's a very giallo mystery with the fifth chord. I don't know why it's called that specifically because it's, the, the killer is, sends out a message early on. I'm going to kill five people. And at each killing, leaves a black glove with one of the f- fingers cut off. Uh, or more based on how many people have died.
1: Yeah. And the motivation of the killer is weirdly, these are people who I have deemed, (coughs) excuse me, who I have deemed, um, I'm helping their lives by ending their lives at this, at this point in their life. Like they, they're all people that he has decided that the killer has decided, like, I'm doing you a favor by killing you. Right. Um, you know, you, you don't realize killer. it yet, but you don't realize it yet. But by the act of killing you, I'm actually doing you a mercy. Um, I liked this movie, and I thought it was well. I thought it was well shot, and I liked it. Uh, it, it, maybe it's just a, you know
0: for it uh, maybe just to be a matter of personal taste i mm. like this one more than the possessed it is franco franco nero playing the main character mm. the reporter who is always fun to watch in a film
1: i like this one more than the possessed i think the possessed is a little dreamier this is a little bit more grounded um but i also like the more proactive lead character in it yeah.
0: Then I did the, the lead character in The Possession. Who's openly an asshole. There's
1: a <laughs> lot of also, I think, interesting, you know, as much as The Possession has these, like, really gorgeous, high contrast um, black and white photography, uh, the fifth chord has a lot of um, that this kind of early seventies architecture that gets photographed really well, where stuff is like, uh, I can think of a scene in particular where there's this weird wide spiral staircase at like an office building kind of setting that sits like dead center in the frame. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of framing of that seventies architecture that is interesting to look at. Mm -hmm. So it's another film where like the possessed, there was a care that went into, um, the composition of the shots uh, very specifically the composition of the shots, right? There's weird '70s Italian stuff in it, like casual wife beating kind of stuff. Yeah, uh,
0: but yeah. The whole thing is like there's a sequence where he's got a girlfriend, and then he just beats the shit out of her, and then they're, having and then the sex next scene laughing, they're, yeah. they're like they're laughing, everything's fine. It's like, well, sometimes you gotta you know, gotta tell the lady you gotta put your woman in her place. It was the message this movie was sending? Yes, but it also I feel like in the filmmaker's credit that like. Later on in the film, the character, Frank O'Neill's character himself starts saying, Wait, maybe I'm the killer. Like actually starts questioning if he's actually the person who did that, did this himself and somehow doesn't remember because he's a super fucked up guy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I think my biggest problem is there's so many fucking characters in this movie that I had a really hard time track keeping track of what their relationship was to each other. And none of the killings are particularly all that fascinating or, or well shot. Even I was like, yeah, they're all right, but I kind of expect better from this type of Giallo. Yeah. Um, and then the end, the mystery solved was like, eh, just a big shrug for me. I mean, there's this big extended chase scene <laughs> that goes on like way longer than it should. And I was like, all right. I, I barely even remember that character, but
1: okay. I didn't know that they were from the same director. Yeah. And I was kind of like, oh cool, I had these two cool little Italian like murder mysteries. And it wasn't until I like logged them on Letterboxd that I realized, oh, these are from the same guy. Um, yeah, I would, I, I like both of them and I would recommend both of them.
0: Uh, there is an audio, com- audio commentary by Travis Crawford, uh, who is a film analyst. Uh, Lines and Shadows for 17 and a half minutes, which is an analysis of the film's visual tropes by critic Raquel Nisbet. There's Whiskey Gialore. kind of like that. That'd be a great name for a band, huh? 28-minute... Um, uh, with feature on critic Michael McKenzie, Black Day for Nero for 23 minutes, which is a 2018 interview with Franco Nero, the great Franco Nero, uh, the rhythm section for 21 minutes interview with the editor. Uh, there is a two and a half minute deleted sequence, which has been described as a montage, which was found well after the fact with a bunch of other leftover film elements, but apparently was never one that was actually included with any of the many different cuts cuts of this film that have existed um, there and then there's the, the trailers, a gallery, and an insert Oh, clip. the trailer's awful Well, most, most trailers for Italian films are pretty the, awful uh, The Fifth Court has an awful trailer Well, our last film, Going Back to America but staying in horror, is Overlord. I got to see this at Fantastic Fest, did enjoy it but I had issues with it, and I definitely enjoyed it more the second time now knowing really? what I was going to go into Yeah, I think this movie's only really big problem is the middle act wow. which drastically sags God. like it just after the the, the initial war sequence there is a long period of not a lot interesting happening in this movie. And it really, and I've read watching some of the extras with uh, interviews with the writer, uh, writers and directors. They're like, well, we wanted this to both be as much a men on a mission movie as it was a horror movie. I'm like, maybe it feels like, but because when it finally goes, okay, fine, we're a horror movie, then I'm having a great time because it really is. It's like Sam Raimi-ish type, crazy, splatstick fun. And The rest of it is just a really mediocre Men on a Mission movie, but... Uh, the plot basically here, which we also talked about in a highly suspect review, I believe, um, is it's D-Day right before D-Day. A paratrooper squad is sent in to destroy a German radio tower in an old church. The plane shot down uh, and the only five survivors uh, with two of them being taken out rather quickly uh, make their way to the town near the radio tower where they meet a French woman named Chloe who says, OK, you can hide out in my house where my kid is is and my sick but no you can't see her aunt on the upstairs bedroom who keeps making weird noises. <laughs> and we just gotta stay quiet while you guys figure out what you're gonna do. And the primary character here uh, played by Jovan Adepo, who I actually thought was quite good. He was in the HBO show The Leftovers. Uh, he is accused early on as being you know, you're not ready for war. You're kind of a pussy you shouldn't be here. And he kind ends up Accidentally finding his way inside of the, the the German underground bunker and discovering that yes. This is where they came up with the idea for the Castle Wolfenstein game, because that's exactly what's going on down there. It's Nazi experiments trying to make super soldiers that are basically just super strength zombies with cyborg parts and stuff and lots of gory, disturbing things, uh, yeah. which ends up in a giant raid on the tower and everyone trying to do things at the last minute and an evil Nazi that they encounter earlier uh, becoming super strong in a fight with a super strong Wyatt Russell, which, you know, come on. I pay just to see that. (laughs) But, um, and by the way, say, this is the first movie I've seen Wyatt Russell in where I was like, oh yeah, you are Kurt Russell's kid. Aren't you? (laughs) You're like, you can't not see it in this movie. Uh, Obviously you did not care for this as as much as I did. I, I did thoroughly enjoy this. I will return to this again, but I liked it. And
1: as it went on, I liked it less and less. And then when it was over, it was not particularly it did not look very good in the rear view. Hmm. But when it started, I was like, "Wow, like this is, this is gonna be this is gonna be great. And I find that the horror elements in it are completely disconnected from everything to the point that they could be removed and the movie would play out exactly the same. That the big inciting, like the big kind of like turning point isn't even related to the horror stuff. It's related to the fact that they, they stop an assault. Mm-hmm. And that's when everything kind of, like, flips and sort of becomes tense. Uh, even the final battle, which is sort of, uh, it could have just been two people fighting, like fist fighting, because they give them both equal, uh, uh, <laughs> they put the they put those players on equal ground, so it could have just been a regular fist fight. There, it, it felt like, in the rear view, and it wasn't while I was watching it, but when I was thinking back on it, I was like, I'm not even sure what all the horror stuff was in there for because they didn't do anything with it. They don't really explain it, and it doesn't affect the plot in any significant way whatsoever because the the thing is, we got to take down the tower. Oh, okay, we'll take down the tower. And then when they come across moments of the monsters, it's just like, oh, I'm trying to shoot this guy, and he took more bullets than he normally would have, but I shot him anyways. And so it's like, even then, I'm like, well, that could have just happened with a regular Nazi. Like I don't. There's a lot what of the means hard, a more than that. The horror stuff is like it's cool, and when you're watching the movie, you're like, "This is really cool," and then it. But it doesn't take root. It doesn't have it. It doesn't. It, it's not. It's not integrated into the film. I don't agree. I. I, I was just like, but Chris, you could literally strip all of that stuff out. And the film is exactly the same, but like
0: there's no difference, but I don't think it's exactly the same. I think you could make that film without the horror stuff here, like strip all that away and you could have the same plot. Sure. But it would be a really boring, mundane men on a mission movie and there wouldn't be anything special about it. What makes it special is the horror stuff going on, which is really cool effects that are done almost entirely through practical means and, and just great. There's a neat point where they find like just a woman's head and her spinal cord sticking That's out, awesome. who's screaming for help. And I was like, "That's amazing." It's a condiment, and uh, the Mission on the men is the hot dog. Yeah, well, and to me, it's still hot-
1: you can take the ketchup off, and it's still off, or mustard off, it's still a hot dog. Yeah, but
0: a dry hot dog ain't that good. <laughs> but why didn't they make the hot dog out of the horse? <laughs> Sometimes a hot dog isn't really a thing that you enjoy until you cover it with the condiments. And then uh, this is a case like that. It, there's a scene where uh, Ian de de a Scottish actor. Who I know from playing the character of Fitz on Agents of Shield. He's like a photographer who's kind of along for the ride here, and he is, becomes kind of the like the guy who gets sh- who, who dies accidentally. And they're like, "Well, we got to vial this stuff. Let's see what happens if we shoot him up with it." There's a whole sequence with him sort of becoming reanimated that I thought was fucking awesome, like worthy of Raimi, like and really cool physical effects they do with him. It's this thing where it's basically is like snaps his head back and his neck just completely breaks with, like, bones, like, sticking out of his shoulder blades. I was like, that's amazing. I The horror stuff I felt found very uh, visceral in a fun way. And, like, even that fight you're talking about, yeah, it could just be a fist fight. It's cool. And then it wouldn't have these guys impaling each other with pipes and still living to do it again. I was like, that makes that a thousand times cooler.
1: I just wish that it had something to do with the rest of it, other than just being... Other than just being so surface about it, I, it was sort of and it, and it and I kept waiting for it to have that some kind of explanation or payoff or lasting effect on what was going on and and I would tell people I, I and my my dislike of it, it only is like a C plus B minus dislike of it mm. but it started so strong well, that, that like very, when it started i thought i had i thought i had i was watching something that i was going to be like why didn't people like flock to this movie cuz this is badass
0: the, the parachuting sequence is like the equivalent the, yeah. of the, the d day landing yeah. and, and saving private ryan where you're like wow i've never seen anything like this, mm. <laughs> this and is even intense. when first,
1: and even when it first starts <laughs> to hit at the at the horror stuff i'm like all right yeah now we're cooking yeah this is going to be like It wasn't until as it kind of got into that final stretch that I was just like, this isn't really going to be about any of this, is it? It's just going to be this man on a mission, a movie where all this window dressing that's really cool is just window dressing.
0: You know, like I said, a window is just a window until you add some dressing. And in this case, this is a really dry hot dog without that. those Uh condiments. We're just I'm just going to keep changing metaphors. I'm going to go from one to the next. It's fine. Um I, you know, it's funny because, like I said, I have problems with this, too, but mainly based on the fact that I find that hot dog is just a really bland, generic hot dog. There's nothing special about it. But everything else that all that all those all that ketchup and mustard and relish and chili and onions are delicious. Mm. <laughs> and I loved it. Mm. But but yeah, man, when the movie is just the hot dog in that middle sequence, I was like, can we get on with this, please? Can we move this forward? I don't know. I wanted,
1: I to wanted pay off.
0: Uh, so, there is some bonus features here. Oh, this is available on 4K as well as Blu-ray. There's an 11-minute uh, discussion of the themes underneath it, uh, the script. The direction is just kind of overall EPK, a little brief bit with everyone uh, for 11 minutes, called who Creation. Di- who directed this? Uh, is it one of Abrams TV guys, or uh, is it like it, somebody who's done features before? It is uh, Julius Avery, who... Directed a bunch of short films that won awards at Cannes. He made Yardbird in 2012. Uh, Son of a Gun with Brendan Thwaites, Ewan McGregor, Alicia Vikander, and Jason Corman in 2014. Okay, Which I did not, I don't think I saw. You yeah, know, it gets I, to that I've point. Seen this, I watch so many fucking movies. It'd be like, someone go, yeah, you did. You reviewed it. And I'd be like, okay, I, be- I believe you. I just don't remember. Um. Sorry. Uh, so back to those bonus features. There, let me scroll Sorry. back down. Oh, that's quite fine. Uh, I just
1: realized I I just kind of blanked and went. Wait, I don't even know who made this movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was it was a you know because
1: they advertise it as J.J. Abrams movie when it's, like, it's not is, his movie.
0: Abrams but, is at that point of his career where he's like the way Spielberg was when he was at that point of yeah. his career where there are a ton of films that you could have sworn were directed by Spielberg because all you remember is them splashing his name over yeah. it. But Gremlins was not by Steven Spielberg. I can't tell and, you who directed like, Batteries Not Included. Batteries Not Included was not by <laughs> Steven Spielberg. But boy was his name prominent on that advertising. Yeah. Uh Death Above, a seven-minute look at that awesome opening sequence, which is no question very impressive. Yeah. Um Death on the Ground for nine minutes. Uh which is, I I don't even know, it's more EPK stuff. All of this is EPK stuff, which little things on the design. I actually really enjoyed the 12-minute piece on the design and the effects where they get really deep into how they created all the practical stuff here, which, like I said, I'm a big fan of practical horror effects. If you don't have to do it in CG, if there's a way to do it in practical and not make it just insanely expensive, then do it. Don't, no more digital blood, guys. Stop it with the digital blood. Although I will admit, it looks a lot better now than it did when they first started doing that. I remember, what was that uh, Wachowski Brothers ninja movie? Oh. Ninja Assassin or something like that. Yeah. And it would have been a fun movie, except it was so egregious with the use of just st- everything was digital and it looked like shit. And we're like, gosh, you're not there yet. You should not have made a whole movie where all the violence was fake gore and looks this bad. Oh, well, somebody should go back in there, re-edit it, and fix it. Maybe I'll like The real blood version. The real blood version. Anyway, uh, so that is it for our show. Our pick of the week is The Guilty, which we both highly recommend. I'll be back in about another week or less with Aaron and his giant stack. Man, I sent him home with a fucking (laughs) backpack full of movies, (laughs) Uh, which he was excited for. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks for listening and, uh, let us know what you guys think of the movies.